Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. This is Hugh Ballou, founder and president of Center Vision Leadership Foundation, where we work with leaders building synergy around the common vision. Your job is the vision. Other people do the work because you're the leader. And our our guest today, oh, we're going to talk about this, workaholics. workaholics. Oh, wow. Caroline Dowd Higgins is our guest. Caroline, tell people a little bit about yourself and why you do this important work. You thank you for having me. What a delight to be with you and your global audience today. So I'll give you a, a nutshell view of my career. Over the past 20 years, I've held leadership roles in nonprofit and higher education organizations. And I've also had an active side hustle as an executive coach, an organizational development trainer, a speaker, and an author. And if I could boil it down to one thing, I would tell you that my passion is helping people make their work lives better so they can honor their personal lives as well. And one point that I want to raise, in 2023, I took my side hustle full-time. So I am now a full-time entrepreneur, and I'm also pleased that I am a, a certified women-owned business. So delighted to be with you today. Well, we are certainly delighted that you're here, that, that you are here with us. Um, I, you and I talked a few minutes before we went live here, and I was sharing with you, I see uh, often, very often, way too often, uh, people get burned out because leaders are over-functioning. We're doing things that other people can do. So you have some statistics about burnout and how over-functioning over impacts the culture and the places where we lead. I do, and, and Hugh, that's a great point of departure. So let me go back and give a little definition about burnout. Burnout can be exhaustion and overwhelm that decreases productivity, it decreases engagement, and even accuracy. So not only does our work product fail or, or lower in efficacy, our health can really take a dive and it can be incredibly detrimental on our mental and our physical health. And it's important for this audience to understand that the World Health Organization has defined burnout as a workplace issue and not a self-care issue. So I get it. We all need a good night's sleep. We need to eat well, have our broccoli and exercise. But that's not what this is about. This is about overwhelm at work. And there's an interesting study that was just launched with data from 2023, the most recent year, that said burnout at a global level is over 86%. And I think that's staggering. That's a crisis. Oh, yeah, I agree. And, you know, leaders, many of us are not aware of the consequences of our actions, even though it's well-meaning actions. The consequences are not what we expect and we blame other people. So, we're talking about creating a healthy work culture, aren't we? We are. 
And, and I would also add, Hugh, a sustainable work culture, because there's a buzz out there about creating positive cultures, not only to attract talent to organizations, but to retain talent. You know, this is still a very hot job market and people have choices, but the key word there is sustainable. This is not a, a one and done, and it's not let's, let's make a great culture. We need to live a great culture. And um, as a career-long uh, conductor of choirs and orchestras, I know that the culture is a reflection of the leader. If I want different results, I need to change. So let's go back to the work culture. Um, that If you have a culture that honors well-being, uh, why is that essential for an organization? So it, it involves several things that may not be intuitive to our listening audience. And the number one thing is psychological safety, a place where people feel safe to share their ideas without repercussion, especially if they differ from the leaders or others in the organization, a place where they are safe to make a mistake and learn and recover from those mistakes. We're human, we all make mistakes, None of us try to make mistakes. It's not intentional, but these things happen. And when there is a culture that is punitive, it dampens creativity, it dampens innovation, and it certainly uh, impacts morale. So I would say that safe space of psychological safety is incredibly important in a healthy work environment. Many times I see that we as leaders isolate ourselves from those in our organization. And we don't really have a, a clear picture of what's really going on in the culture. Is Any thoughts on how to connect with the culture? Sometimes people don't think they have permission to talk to the leader about things. And we, I don't know, it's, it's how we set that up, but we're not really getting the feedback that we need. Is that right? You're spot on, Hugh. And I would tell you that I, I believe this is part of the evolution of leadership. So again, looking back historically, the, the military created this idea of command and control, which was essential and frankly, life or death on the battlefield in combat. Happily, some leaders have evolved. And the present day leader, when we look at 2024, some of the characteristics that we really celebrate for leaders include active listening, to your point, do I have my finger on the pulse of my direct reports and the people that I lead? Do I understand what's happening in their life and career? I'll add empathy to that list. I would also add a sense of creating a space where people can be authentic and share what's happening in life and career and be honest and open and transparent. And I think the biggest change for leaders is checking your ego at the door and being someone who is willing to be vulnerable and real, not only with their colleagues, but with other stakeholders. Because I truly believe that being a vulnerable and authentic leader still means you can be an extraordinarily impactful and effective leader, but it humanizes and helps people become more relatable, not only to their constituents, but those they serve. Value the individual. Leadership in my world is based on relationship. And you just you just nail that and what you just talked about in so many words. So the workers market has created choices for professionals. How how should savvy professionals prepare for career advancement? Yeah, 
Yeah, oh, this is a fascinating time in history. And this is not only an American phenomenon, this is a global phenomenon, Hugh. So the job market is hot. No, I get it. It was on fire as we navigated through the pandemic journey. And it's it's lessened just a tad, but it's still very much a worker's market. And what that means is people have options. So they're less likely to stick around and suffer through a very difficult boss or a bad situation or a role that doesn't honor them and play to their strengths. And we're seeing more and more, especially with our younger professionals, in Generation Z and also our millennials, Gen Y, that they're they're leaving because they don't have a loyalty to an organization. They want to work in a place that honors their values. So smart and savvy organizations are keeping that in mind. And I'll add one more point. Retention is a huge problem right now. Because of the workers' market, people are leaving if the work environment is not a good fit. I, I have seen that people don't leave an organization, they leave a leader. Got it. You got it. Yeah, yeah. May I share a little bit about that? Yeah. So that, uh, that phrase is evergreen. That has been around for a long time, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I have a, a little catchphrase that I created that I actually shared in a TEDx talk that I did years ago that says the suckiness of a work environment is real and pardon me for that term but suffering is optional so let me also set up if you're being harassed or if illegal and egregious things are happening get out fast but often our tolerance for bad leaders or even difficult colleagues is high not anymore people are saying i don't need to suffer I can find a place that is a better fit that honors me as the person. And I, I truly believe that that's a good thing because it's it's helping poor leaders take a look in the mirror and really address their behavior. We need to be kind to people. We need to be compassionate. We need to listen. We need to listen. Another very underutilized listening scale. Just to clarify for our audience, when we we suck at leadership. It's halfway to success. So it gives you a whole new context of that. I stole that from another year. So anyway, I'll pass it on. So we we set up the suckiness by by our performance. Yes, absolutely. It, and so, yeah, we, we look at the, so those people that are burned out are leaving the profession, especially nonprofit leaders. One out of 10 clergy before the pandemic made it to retirement. And those figures have not gotten any better. So um, we, and there's a large percentage who haven't left that are looking at the exit door, but haven't found a place that can pay them the same money or whatever conditions to make them want to leave. But, you know, the grass is not always greener on the other side. So maybe there's another way to thrive where you are. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I, I'm grateful that you brought this up. You know, often we're wooed by a job description that has a, a stellar salary or a very intriguing uh, job description or even a title that can be appealing. And that's fine. One needs to do their due diligence and look at that. But often the workplace drama, the conflict, and this is where my experience as an executive coach comes in, is really a communication gap. So perhaps I'm not communicating appropriately with my leader 
because I don't understand her work style. So I would encourage everybody out there who's bucking heads with the leader or a difficult colleague to have a, a safe space conversation, learn what's the best way that you communicate. How do I get the best of you? How do you get the best of me? You get the worst of me when? All of these communication questions that are rarely spoken because we're so busy and we're on that fast paced treadmill. And often it boils down to how do we play together in that sandbox and learn how to honor our differences and also celebrate our weaknesses? When I travel, I hear lots of leaders talking about their boss and that there's no communication, no open line to talk. I hear about non-private leaders talking about their relationship with their boards and that the boards expect everything at a minimum salary. So how do you have those different start those difficult conversations with maybe somebody that you might think is unwilling to have those conversations. Yeah, I, I, I want to back up a little bit because you said something so poignant and, and I've been in the nonprofit space for well over 20 years and it's a passion. We reach this, this arena because we're committed to helping people. And I know that is also uh, deeply part of serving in, in the clergy and in um, houses of worship. And often those professionals experience burnout because of the compassion or the empathy fatigue. We're constantly helping and serving others. and We don't always prioritize our needs. But back to your question about how do we start that conversation? Often uh, the communication is, is so poor that people don't have eye to eye contact. You and I are using technology right now. We can see each other, even though we're on a video screen. So I would say whether you have the luxury of in-person communication or you're leveraging technology, carve out that space to get to know each other. So it's not a business meeting where you're talking about tactics and strategy and certain things and you're listening and you're giving space to really learn, how can I help you? How can you support me? What do you need to do your best work? As a leader, one of the most important questions that I always ask my direct reports or those that I'm coaching, how can I empower you to do your best work? Now, I want to say that again, because I'm not doing that person's work. How can I empower you to do your best work? So those of you who are leaders listening to this, I don't care if you're a corporate leader, there's a lot of corporate leaders that sit on boards um, clergy, nonprofit leader, local charity, educator in a university or whatever. Um, <clears throat> how can you use these tools to not be that leader that's difficult? How can you branch out of where you are? And so that eyeball to eyeball, ear to ear, listen with your eyes, listen with your ears. And you know, Carolyn, as I was studying my coaching methodology, silence after someone talks is is a confirmation you've listened. Is that right? Absolutely. And I, I wanted to honor the power of the pause, Hugh. We're in such a sensory overload environment with instant messages and text messages. We almost have a Pavlovian response when we hear the ding of a new email come in. And the, the beauty of silence, and you and I are both musicians, and we call that a rest in music, Silence is magic. That's where the anticipation happens and the audience is on the edge of their seat okay. and the instrumentalists and the singers are breathing in the beautiful music. We can learn a lot from that. 
and bring it to our career space as well. And the rest is not the absence of sound, it's a punctuation. Brilliant. Yeah, that's a resting place that validates what's happened and it's a setup for the next place and it's a time to think. That's great. That's great. You're just giving us so many tools where if you're just coming by um, watching us online, uh, this is the Nonprofit Exchange, Hugh Ballou. I'm interviewing Caroline Dowd Higgins, who's given us many, many tips that we can put to work right away. You can find this interview at VTHE nonprofitexchange.org, thenonprofitexchange.org. You'll find this and you'll find 375 others. This one's at the top of the pile and it's very, very relevant to today's world. Um, I, I'm introduced sometimes speaking as an expert in leadership and I said, no, I'm a student in leadership, which I am, but I'm also an expert because at 77, I've been there long enough to make all the mistakes. So learning from those and then some uh, sometime after an unfortunate work experience somebody gave me a, uh, john maxwell's book failing forward so talk about that and how that's helpful i love the concept of failing forward and, and what a great setup with john's iconic book you know what's so important about that concept it's not so much the mistakes that we make we all make mistakes that's part of being human it's how do we recover and how are we resilient on the other end? And how do we reframe a failure or a mistake as a learning opportunity, a teachable moment? And the concept of failing forward originated in the tech sector. So it was very famous and still is in Silicon Valley, for example. And I'll give you an example about why I, I cited technology. When an investor is considering investing in a new startup organization, they don't want an organization that's just been around for a few weeks. They want to know how many times have you failed and how did you recover? How do you navigate through difficult things? And we can learn a lot about that. I think some of my greatest successes happened because I could synthesize my failures and power through. So relevant to leaders, Hugh, create a culture that empowers failing forward. It sparks creativity, innovation, and it's an exciting opportunity to try new things. This is a place that would occur to me where leaders are coaches. Now, we, we I see also with this over-functioning, it shows up as micromanaging rather than mentoring, which are very different concepts. But coaching is a different concept where you're empowering people. Micro, I'm a, um, mentoring is helping people with subject matter. Coaching is helping them build their own competence. So um, we are we're fundamentally coaches. So learning to listen and learning to empower others, that's such a key part about leadership, isn't it? Absolutely. And I'm I'm thrilled that you mentioned that because there's a new paradigm shift with leaders and coaching leaders are highly desirable not only because they're empowering the individual as you just referenced, but they're encouraging them with, with space, with silence, with a culture that promotes failing forward to try new things, but they're also introducing probing questions. So it's not about me telling someone what to do, but asking questions because I know the idea is already in their head. So how do I entice them to get it out? And that is in my belief, 
true empowerment. It's not about directive. It's about listening and giving the space for someone else to come up with that wonderful idea or that solution on their own. That's a great mini lesson right there, folks. You'll you'll find the transcript for today's interview on the website when you go to the nonprofitexchange.org. So um, we hear people talk about um, emotional intelligence and we hear people, you and I both represent a different manner, a different style of leadership than the auto, autocratic style, do what I say. We, you know, we empower people around a vision and empower people to raise the bar on their own functioning. So talk about how people can hone in their skills, both with emotional intelligence and embracing a new style of leadership, which is very compatible in today's culture. Absolutely. Emotional intelligence isn't new, but it's certainly a hot topic. And again, one of the core tenets is active listening. And Hugh, I believe you and I are on the same page here. We've both been in situations, as I'm sure this audience has as well, where you're listening with one ear, but maybe you're multitasking or you're doing something else. Maybe it's even a scenario at home and you're listening to a partner or a spouse or a kid and sure, I got you, but you're doing something else. And I believe active listening is all about undivided attention. And this is a real gift. So emotional intelligence takes that to a new level. It's also very important to think about empathy. And empathy is different than sympathy. Empathy is putting yourself in someone else's shoes. And an emotionally intelligent leader is going to learn about the holistic person, not only the work colleague. So those are, are two examples. Something else that I wanted to share, and I'll, I'll honor uh, the initiator of this research, Susan David, who has an extraordinary TED talk about emotional agility and a book of the same name. I've learned so much from her because the emotionally intelligent leader allows for us to express those emotions. We don't always come to work with our best day. Things happen. The dog gets loose before, you know, before you're headed out the door and you've got to chase it around the block. At least that's what happens in my house. Or something happened, right? You got bad news from a family member in a phone call right before you, talk, you walk into the office. It's about honoring those emotions and giving space so people can process that and then bring their full selves to work. Because if you try to stifle that, you know that that person is not going to have a productive day and they need a space to be able to honor that emotional agility. Whoa, another good tip. A lot of good, lot of good tips today. So I hope you're writing this down, folks. Um, and then we've talked, you talked about safety in the workplace, um, psychological safety. Speak a little bit about that and the importance of that in the workplace. You know, it's fascinating, Hugh, because there's a lot of attention right now on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And we're even seeing that acronym change uh, order in, in the initials. And now inclusion is often the lead word. And that goes back to psychological safety. If I'm in a team meeting or a staff meeting and somebody brings up an idea that I fundamentally disagree with, or I have other color to add to that beautiful idea. If I don't feel safe and confident adding my voice and having a point of view, then that beautiful idea stays inside my brain and isn't shared with anyone. 
So a space of psychological safely, safety, excuse me, empowers people to share ideas and it promotes cognitive diversity, which is really important. So it's the space to be able to disagree and add a different idea or expand upon an idea that has been presented. I can't tell you how many teams that I've worked with where you can just see the crossed arms and the closed body language. You know people are processing, but they don't feel comfortable sharing what they're thinking out loud. Whoa, and I'm gonna um, talk about your website for a second. Now people on the podcast um, can't see your website, but we'll talk about it, give them the link. But when people go to carolinedowdhiggins.com, C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E-D-O-W-D-H-I-G-G-I-N-S, no spaces, no dashes, dot com. There's a lot of good looking stuff here, including a book, Your Career Advantage. So what will people find here? Oh, thanks, Hugh. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's really the mothership where all of my uh, information is shared. I have a blog uh, that I also write on LinkedIn and several other national media outlets. I have a podcast as well called Your Working Life. And my newest book is called Your Career Advantage, Overcome Challenges to Achieve a Rewarding Work Life. And it really is like having your own personal executive coach in this book. It's very tactical, very practical, so for example, you had a bad day with, with your boss and communication didn't happen, there's a chapter for that. Or maybe you're experiencing imposter syndrome and you just don't feel confident. Well, there's a chapter for that as well. But I want this audience to also understand it's not only about overcoming and tackling challenges, it's about celebrating what's good and honoring your life and career together and thinking about how you can design and create the work and the life that you want to lead. And there's a contact button on that website so people can contact you as well. So this has been so helpful. So many sound bites, but so many substantial tactics and strategies um, and empowerment tools that people can, can put to work. Um, I'm gonna talk about our community a minute and then I'm gonna come back to you and ask you to give people a charge, a final thought that, before they leave. Center Vision Leadership Foundation has created a safe community for, for leaders to come and work together, peer-to-peer -to -peer networking, um, learning. We have m lots and lots of experts in the community to share with you. It's not just one facet of you need this, you need that. It's a contiguous process of all the steps that you need to be successful. So go to uh, nonprofitcommunity.org, nonprofit community.org and find out about our private community for you. It's self-empowerment, it's it's nurture, it's peer-to-peer -peer support, and it's coaching. You get time with Hubaloo every week. Nonprofitcommunity.org. Try it out. It'll be the difference in your future. So and you'll find lessons like this there. So Caroline, what do you want to leave people with today? Hugh, what an honor to be with you. I've learned so much from you and I'm deeply grateful for your work and I thank you for that. So what I'd like to leave this audience with is the notion that you can enjoy your career and love your life simultaneously. It need not be one or the other. And even if you are in the midst of exhaustion and overwhelm, I would encourage you to take some quiet time, enjoy that pause, and really reflect on what's meaningful and what you value 
so you can design a life and career that you truly want to live. Wise words. Thank you so much, Caroline, for being our guest today on the Nonprofit Exchange. Thank you, Hugh. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.